of Sydney Fan Fiction, Episode 2. Kelly had been reading a lot of science fiction of the few months leading up to and during the Biennale, including a reread of Slanislaw Lem's Solaris. She was getting ready for the Bureau of Writing's workshop with participating Biennale artist Heeman Chong. Heeman's work, The Embassy of Stanislaw Lem, was an itinerant library come bookshop of assorted editions of Solaris, a touring collection of its various covers, an illustrated history of its differing translations. And since some of it adorned the walls of art space, Kelly had also read and reread much of Ursula K. Le Guin's Hainish Cycle. But even for the great sprawling worlds of sci fi, there becomes an end a limit to which the author's voice is conquered by the boundary of the final page. So Kelly found herself entering the infinite domain of online fanfiction. Kira Fick writes, On the planet of Gethen, sometimes called winter, it is always year one. Even on that unchanging world, everything is always beginning. Genli has restarted his life now many times over, on new planets among new peoples, stepping lightly from world to ship to world again. Much older than the boy of twenty-some years who landed on Gethin as the first mobile that planet had seen. But no matter where he goes, no matter how the years fly by, it is still always year one. A piece of him is still always lying awake in the darkness of a small tent on the basque over an ice of a distant planet, listening to the breathing of someone who is, by now, very long dead. As a member and contributor to sites like fanfiction.net since she was a teenager, Kelly had always loved fanfiction and had been witness to the beauty of a mere handful to hundreds to thousands, sometimes millions of fans coming together to write in collusion as a way to get more from or more of the text that they loved. Fanfiction is act of taking an original text and bending it. Fanfiction is the filling in of gaps, filling in the between spaces. Fanfiction is an identification of the gaps between text, and within those identified gaps, the insertion of desire, the insertion of oneself and one's own story. It struck Kelly as very particular the way that Stephanie Rosenthal had called the spaces of the Biennale that were found between those of the major spaces in between spaces, as opposed to between spaces. To Kelly, it suggested a filling in, a writing of extra narrative, of surplus, the concreteness of being inside as opposed to moving between or linking that which had already existed. A grouping of spaces that included various streetscapes, the Cambertown Cemetery, the MCA Forecourt, the Newtown Library and the Royal Botanic Gardens, as well as mobile in-between spaces like Chong's Lem Library. These spaces formed a series of interventions that wrote and rewrote the larger narrative of the Biennale itself by running in parallel to it. Perhaps like queer fans rewriting their heroes of cinema and literature to bring their loved icons into line with their own personal and lived experiences, it is the in-between spaces of the Biennale like Keg D'Souza's We Built This City installation on Vine Street in Redfern and accompanying discursive program The Redfern School of Displacement which make us rethink the often cultural hegemony of the cultural venues that all too often do not address their lived geographic contexts. Like CarriageWorks, an institution that has probably contributed to, or is a symptom of, the gentrification and displacement of many from Redfern itself. Kelly thought that perhaps these in-between zones offered new kinds of contexts, like an act of Michel de Certeau's textual poaching, the in-between spaces describe an ongoing struggle for possession and control over a text's meaning, that text being both the context of Redfern for Keg and the text of the Biennale itself and Stephanie's curatorial scheme. 
Kelly got a sense that Stephanie was acknowledging that those major institutions could never fully be hers to write, so she inserted herself across and in between those venues, poaching and rewriting their larger narratives, pointing out their limitations, their inability to comment or critique themselves. Kirifik continues in the voice of character Genli. And without even thinking, something answering rose inside me, a desire which had been there all along, secret and ignored. It throbbed through the darkness between us, and I know he must have felt it in return. I heard, I think, the softest of exhalations from his side of the tent. No other words were spoken between us, by either mouth or mine. But I know I stayed awake in that darkness a long, long time, feeling the throb of feeling between us, his own need, my answering want. It is one thing for Stephanie to create new in-between zones for herself, to live out her desired narratives, but what else had been left out and what could be added? This was a biennale about the space in between, about liminal zones, and there were still lots of holes and gaps waiting to be occupied. Kelly and Benjamin Forster, another of the Bureau of Writing participants, thought, perhaps we should focus on writing stories about the Biennale board members. Using the context of the Biennale to interrogate what it might be like for that other kind of audience. What would it actually be like for someone living on the shores across from Cockatoo Island to look out and see Agatha Goethe Snape's billboards? What would their reactions be? What would it be like for one of Franco Belgiorno Nettis's grandchildren to walk into the entrance of art space past the omniscient bust of their grandfather? What kind of relationship did they have with the work within that space? What are they thinking? What does it say about the everyman's relationship to the Biennale in comparison? Benjamin and Kelly thought about the gap and void space between those different experiences. They thought about the bust of Franco Belgiorno Nettis, which was erected after the 2014 Sydney Biennale. And they thought about the void space between what happened in 2014 and the 20th Biennale of Sydney in 2016. They thought about how the then highly publicised artist boycott of the Biennale, because of the involvement of Transfield, a major sponsor running offshore detention facilities for refugees seeking asylum in Australia. They thought about how that had now been swallowed by the void between 2014 and 2016. In many ways, the boycott had been successful. It was decided that Transfield, owned in major part by the Belgiorno Netis family, major sponsors, funders, board members of the Biennale, would cease in the future to be a sponsor. But the space had grown between that victory and the present. Because although Transfield was technically not a sponsor, their logo still held pride of position in Biennale catalogues and hand guides. Everywhere the Belgiorno Netis family, who had in part made their wealth from an industry that traded on the suffering of others, were acknowledged as founding patrons. The void had allowed for their applauded 40 years of patronage, and nothing else was said. Benjamin and Kelly thought, let's fill this space of quietness of saying nothing. Let's hear the whispers of disquiet that we hear as artists and participants, that perhaps the broader public does not. Let's make them louder. Let's turn them up. Because everywhere there are these subtle acknowledgements and subtle insinuation, attempts to incorporate what happened here, what happened in the text of the 2014 Biennale. But nowhere is this blatant. Behind the bust of Franco Belgiorno Nettis at Artspace, there is the embassy of non-participation. And on the wall before you enter are these keywords from Stephanie. Alternative structures, thresholds, owning space, silence, dislocation, resistance. Lists that are signposts suggestive of something that happened, that is, but instead of saying it directly, instead of filling in voids, these words create more gaps. Gaps of not knowing. 
These words struck Kelly and Benjamin as a way to acknowledge, but also caught enough. Please, be political, challenge us, but do it here, where we can see you, underneath our gaze. Let us decide what is known and not known. At the Embassy of Non-Participation, British artists Karen Merza and Brad Butler were given the space of art space for their work, the Museum of Non-Participation. Known as artists and filmmakers as well as activists, they were among a large group of artists outside Australia who had supported the 2014 boycott. While much of their work had been about the human right to withdraw labour and boycott, if anything, what the Museum of Non-Participation presented in the Embassy of Non-Participation was the paradox of discussing the power of non-participation while participating. Of course, the act of boycott or protest does work, which is why governments are legislating against it right now. So why participate? How is power operating when histories are alluded to but not dealt with? What is said and not said? Through their fanfiction, Benjamin and Kelly try to catch the moments between said and not said, between passivity and action. Similarly, Mirza and Butler attempt to retain self-governments in the context of very little autonomy. Their work at Artspace is about creating an aesthetic of resistance and negotiation. They are like diplomats sent on a mission by a rogue state who have realised their reliance upon the larger nation and are here raising their flag inside an extraterritorial zone. During the Biennale opening week, Kelly attends one of their talks at Artspace with her friend Serena Masuko. They can't help but think that there is a certain futility in their tone, an intense display of internal conflict. Serena says, they embody the British colonial project. The Museum of Non-Participation at the Embassy of Non-Participation is problematic not least in its brazen commodification of the protest of the other, and after such a long period of not participating, their submission to the Biennale and the market that surrounds the Biennale is messy. Kelly could see the struggle in their talk the battle to think through the politics and to give it form, the hesitation to be involved and the subsequent difficulty in justifying it. Through this talk, they embody the ongoing struggle of possession and control over the meaning of their own text. They throw everything they know at the situation, their whole museum of non-participation violently at participation, a kind of hyper-participation of protest, a neo-data absurdity. They create a theatre of the oppressed for actors and non-actors alike, with multiple narrators entering the frame. Perhaps the most powerful work in the absurd anarchist utopia of Museum of Non-Participation is The Unreliable Narrator, a dual-screen video installation that depicts the four-day-long 2008 Mumbai attacks, a series of 12 coordinated bombings and shootings by an Islamic militant organisation based in Pakistan. Mirza and Butler's video combines real-time televised CNN footage, scenes from a Bollywood film, The Attacks of 2611, recordings of wire taps between on-the-ground terrorists with the puppeteers directing them, and the conversations between police and film executives about what and how to televise live the attacks amid a flurry of violent imagery of bodies strewn on the ground and men banging in the doors of hotel rooms. Through violent screen cuts and sliced scenes, the film builds to a dramatic rupture at its centre, in which one of the terrorists, who intended to die as a martyr through the attack, survives and is captured by police. He is questioned and given a voice. The void of the other that he inhabited before is made whole, visible, present. This atrocity takes place amongst the shifting authority of the narrator who pushes and pulls the audience closer to the material. As they are at points trusted and then distrusted, their subjectivity in regard to the context questioned as they cast judgment upon the unfolding event. 
So who is the narrator? The terrorist? The Bollywood film executive? The police commissioner? The tourist? The hotel worker? The artist? The Biennale? The artistic director? Who gets to speak? And who is stifled? The luckless surviving terrorist finding himself alive. A previously non-speaking being at the end of a telephone line, being directed from outside survives and suddenly claims a voice in the void. Or perhaps it's Moser and Butler attempting to regain their voices as artists and filmmakers, struggling for possession and control of their work within a world of intense image circulation and so little autonomy. On the walls of art space there are excerpts from Le Guin's Dispossessed, a story that follows the character of Shevek, a deployed scientist trying to understand the bureaucracy and power structures of a foreign nation. Invitations to receptions, dedications, openings and so forth were delivered to Shevek daily. She went to some because she had come on a mission to urge the idea of solidarity or world. She spoke and they listened to her and said, how true. She wondered why they did not stop her from speaking. Had she exaggerated the extent of the control and censorship they could exert? She talked against the Presbyterians, and they did not stop her. But did they need to stop her? It seemed that she talked to the same people every time, well-dressed, well-fed, well-mannered, smiling. Were they the only kind of people on this planet? It is a pain that brings people together, Shevek said, standing up before them, and they nodded and said, how true. She began to hate them. Kelly imagined that Mirza and Butler are Shevek, attending the receptions of the enemy, the institution, and all its members, whose busts greet them at the entrance. Mirza and Butler's homage tell us what they considered the most important aspects of the text. Le Guin's extracts sit on the wall of art space like little pieces of edited fiction, with the switching of gendered pronoun here and a little cutting there. These are messages from the embassy and its artists to the visitors about the possibilities and limitations of communication and understanding between different worlds the canonical themes of science fiction which replicate themselves through the Biennale and its various embassies and in-between spaces that are somehow fantasy yet real. Biennale of Sydney Fan Fiction has been written for the Bureau of Writing, a collaborative writing program designed for artists and presented alongside the 20th Biennale in association with Artspace Sydney. Biennale of Sydney Fan Fiction is written and spoken by Kelly Fleedner, with quotations narrated by Robert Wood. Its music is by Ron Crew. www.onthebeachpodcast.info has been designed and developed by Rowan McNaughton, and you can find further information, notes and transcripts on each episode there. The Bureau of Writing has been assisted by the Australian Government through the Australia Council for the Arts, its arts funding and advisory body. It has been made possible through the generous support of the Kia Foundation. And On the Beach is supported by the Victorian Government through Creative Victoria. <laughs>